I have read through the entire Bible in my lifetime uh, twice, through the whole thing. And that's not impressive because there are people who have read through it many more times than that. As I've read through the Bible and as I've studied various portions of it in depth, I've found that some of it, particularly the Old Testament, is hard to understand. Reading Genesis or Ruth or some Old Testament narrative is relatively easy, but the prophets, I find, are more difficult. The prophets can feel esoteric or obscure, and you can get lost in them. Now, honestly, I knew very little about the book of Malachi when I started this series. So it was a helpful series for me, and I was excited to study and to preach Malachi. God kindly revealed himself to me through this book, and I've grown in my knowledge of him um, through this. The Holy Spirit worked through my hard work and taught me this book, and I'm thankful for that. If you find the Bible confusing... Be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you really want to encounter God and understand His Word, the Holy Spirit can open your eyes to wonders that you have never seen before and draw you closer to God if you devote the time and hard work and utilize good resources to help you study and understand Scripture. I've found that when I devote Uh, the time and the sweat to excavating the scriptures, God is faithful. God is faithful to open my eyes to see more of him in the text. So don't let your ignorance of the Bible keep you away from the Bible. Devote yourself to studying scripture and expect that God will reveal himself to you there. When you don't understand it, Keep excavating it. Treasures are beneath the surface. Preaching is proclaiming God's word so God's people can see God's glory and therein worship God with increasing purity and passion. And I hope that this preaching series has shown you more of the glory of God. And I hope your worship is now, after the series, more pure and more passionate. Today, we'll look at the last three verses of Malachi, which happen to be the last three verses of the entire Old Testament. In between Malachi and the time of John the Baptist, um, uh, or I'm sorry, the earliest book of the New Testament, is around 500 years. People see verses 4 through 6 as a postscript. The first, verse 4, is a call back to obeying the law. The second, verses 5 and 6, is a promise of repentance and reconciliation infused with a warning of judgment. We began with the heading in chapter 1, verse 1, journeyed through six arguments. The first three paralleled the last three, and now we're arriving at the conclusion of the book. Through Malachi, God condemned Israel's faithlessness, disobedience, corrupt worship practices, injustices and disillusioned hearts, condemnations which actually still apply to the church today. Judgment is throughout this book, and yet so is grace, as God calls his people to return to him. 
In the first sermon of the series, I told you to expect at least two things from Malachi. One, sharp words of rebuke from God. And two, beautiful words of grace from God. Well, we've heard both. God comes hard in Malachi. He doesn't pull punches. He comes very hard. But he does so to get people to his son, who is the means to return to him. Now, we don't naturally like to be rebuked, like to be called out on our our failures and sins. And Malachi does that. So Malachi can be an uncomfortable book. We'd rather be comfortable in our sin. But when God rebukes us through his word, though his rebuke is, is severe, though his rebuke can sting, it is loving and kind because when it is heeded by faith, it leads to joy in him. So Malachi is the extravagant love of God, the Father manifested in stern warnings and gracious promises. God is warning as well as God is beckoning. We must listen. We must take Malachi to heart. Proverbs 13 verse 1 says this, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Prove yourself to be a wise son. Prove yourself to be a wise daughter of God by heeding your father's instruction in this spectacular little bestseller. Do not shut it out and prove that you are a scoffer. Now, I have five brief points from the last three verses of the Old Testament. And after them, I hope to tie it all together to show you Jesus Christ, to show you how Malachi points us to Jesus Christ. We begin with God's law. God's law. Verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. The law didn't originate with Moses. The law originated with God, and God gave the law through Moses to his people. Around a thousand years before Malachi, Moses received from God the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, also known as Horeb, which Scripture calls the Mount or Mountain of God. The law of Moses more broadly refers to all of the laws given to Israel at Horeb. God made a covenant with his people there, with Israel, and his laws, statutes, and rules revealed God's will for Israel. Sometime read Deuteronomy 4 and Exodus 19. They will fill in a lot of good details surrounding that giving of the law. Now, God's law is more than just good advice. Hey, how about trying this out for a while? It's more than good advice. It's divine edict. It's mandate to be meticulously observed. And any slight deviation from God's law is a deviation from God himself. Now, why would God tell Israel to remember his law? Because they weren't obeying it. They were disregarding his law. That was the root of their problems. Therefore, a call to remember was a call to repentance, a call to obedience, or a call to return to the Lord. Dr. John McKay said this, to remember is to prepare to act. 
nor is the reference to law urging upon them some legalistic self-righteousness. Law is instruction, the teaching of the covenant king as to how he wished his people to respond to the redeeming love he had shown them. End of quote. Malachi was calling Israel to remember what God had taught them and to do it. Remember what God had taught them and to do it faithfully. Obviously, God, the supreme teacher, is going to communicate to his, his subjects, to his children, to those being educated under his grace, his students, on what he expects of them. He's going to communicate that, and it will ultimately be good for them, so they need to remember it. They can't forget. They have to keep it in mind. So the application of the first point is to remember. Remember. We must remember God's law and his word. Taylor and Clendenin note, Malachi was calling Judah to a lifestyle guided at all times, not by human wisdom, ambition, or societal expectations, but by the thoughtful application of God's word. Don't forget that. The thoughtful application of God's word. God has spoken to us through his written word, the Bible, and has not only revealed himself to us there, not only told us about ourselves in relation to him, but has told us how to live, told us what to do. His desires, he's explained it. So we must remember, we must study his word to know and obey him. All of God's word is for all of God's people and all of God's people must remember it. Here's the second point, God's prophet. God's prophet. Verse five, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Well, that's a striking end to the Old Testament. From the time of Malachi to the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, a period of probably around 450 years, Israel was anticipating this coming of Elijah the prophet and the anticipation of the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God promised to send his messenger to prepare the way for him. Then Here in chapter 4, verse 5, God promised to send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Is God's messenger the same person as Elijah the prophet? Well, there's debate about that among scholars, but it seems relatively clear to me at least that they are indeed the same person, namely John the Baptist. Let me explain why. In Matthew 11, Jesus spoke to crowds about John the Baptist, and listen to what Jesus said. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus said that John the Baptist was God's promised messenger of Malachi 3, verse 1. But that doesn't necessarily mean that John the Baptist was Elijah the prophet from chapter 4, verse 5. So now let's listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 13 and 14. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. First, to say that 
All the prophets and the law prophesied until John is to suggest that John continued a long-established and unique prophetic ministry. Then Jesus' words, he is Elijah who is to come, seals the deal, I think. But there's more. Consider the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus, Peter, James, John. The three questioned Jesus about the coming of Elijah, a reference to Malachi, and Jesus answered in Matthew 17, verses 11 and 12, like this. Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. Then verse 13 adds this. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus believed that John the Baptist was Elijah that had already come. But here's a curveball. In John 1, verse 21, some priests and Levites ask John the Baptist, Are you Elijah? To which he responded, I am not. Now, come on. Really? Now, what in the world is that? Are they disagreeing here? Well, let me try to clear this up with a three-part answer, so stick with me. Here's part one. Elijah never died. 2 Kings 2 talks about chariots of fire and horses of fire coming between Elijah and Elisha, and then Elijah went up into heaven by a whirlwind, and Elisha saw him no more. Read about it. It's fascinating, but Elijah never died. So when the priests and Levites asked John the Baptist whether he was Elijah, it is probable that they misunderstood Malachi to mean Elijah himself would return. And so John answered no because he was not Elijah returned from heaven. Are you tracking me? All right, here's the second part. Was John the Baptist simply Elijah reincarnated? No, primarily because reincarnation is not in the Bible. Secondarily, how could it be reincarnation if Elijah never died? All right, here's the third part. This is perhaps most significant. An angel came to John's dad, Zechariah, before John was born and said this about John, Luke 1, 17. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Spirit and power of Elijah, which means John wasn't Elijah himself, but rather like Elijah in his ministry. This is the same type of thing that when the Bible talks about God raising up David from Israel after David had already died, pointing to Jesus Christ, who is like David, a, David was a type of Christ, pointing to Jesus. So Jesus is the Messiah King like David who descended from David, if you're following me. The great and awesome day of the Lord in Malachi 4, 5 refers to the first arrival of Jesus Christ, which seems to be consistent with how day is used in Malachi. It may allude to his second coming as well. So John the Baptist was the messenger and Elijah the prophet whom God sent before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, a true prophet is a man that God appoints to speak his words. When the prophet speaks, it is God who is speaking through the prophet. That's what prophets are. If God sent John as a prophet to prepare the way for the Lord, what message did God send John to proclaim? Well, first, 
God sent Malachi to proclaim a message of God's impending judgment as well as repentance to return to the Lord. That's what we've been seeing. So keep Malachi in mind as we shift to John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says, John came preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1, verse 4, and Luke chapter 3, verse 3, say that John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John also rebuked people, including, I mean, this takes courage, but including Pharisees and Sadducees, the powerful religious elites of the day, warning them of God's coming justice, pleading with them to repent. He also preached about Jesus. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John preached repentance and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, God's Son. This is very similar to Malachi. Moses established the law to be followed. Israel turned away from that law. God sent prophets to call them back to him. Elijah represents those prophets. God promised to send a messenger to prepare the way for the Lord. God promised to send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And along came John who, like Malachi, called Israel to return to the Lord through repentance, and he pointed Israel to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the means to return to the Lord. It's fascinating where Malachi leaves off and where John the Baptist begins. The application of the second point, then, is repent. Repent. We must hear Malachi, and we must repent of our sins. Like Israel, we have been faithless. We have been disobedient. We have been corrupt in worship. We have been unjust. We have been disillusioned. And we must repent. Now, it's not easy to hear you're doing it the wrong way. And you need to stop it and you need to do it the right way. That's not easy to hear. Who likes hearing that? Spirit-filled people do, because if it's true, and it is, then it's best for us to be corrected, to be called to turn. Now, in high school, you're not going to know that it's not going to make sense looking at me, but, but I, I did lift some weights, and, um, and I was taught proper lifting technique in gym class, maybe by coaches and things like that. Without proper technique, if you've lifted weights, you know you can quickly injure yourself. You have to use proper technique. And one time, I, I was on the military press, and I had too much weight on. It was a universal machine, so I was really struggling. And, and just like that, a pain shot into my neck, and I was injured permanently. I still struggle with neck pain at times. When it flares up, it puts me out. I'm not doing much of anything. Um, just like that, in a split second, we can wander from God's law, wander from what we know is right to do. We wander from his word to our own pain and to our own peril. My friends, we must be vigilant to avoid the dangers of sin and walk in holiness. I'm well aware of the struggle of that every day. It is not easy. I have to proclaim this because I need it. 
We must be vigilant. We can't toy around with sin. It is very dangerous. And God's instruction and rebuke of us in our sin, his call to repentance, is loving. It's loving. Notice in verses 5 and 6 that God doesn't send his destruction until after he has warned and pleaded through his prophet. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Next point, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. The great and awesome day of the Lord is the first coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Back in chapter 3, verse 1, God promised that the Lord would suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant was coming. He, He would be like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap to refine and purify. He is the son of righteousness who rises upon God's people with healing. The coming of the Messiah is great. It is remarkable. It is stunning. It is magnificent. The coming of the Messiah is also awesome. It is terrifying. It is dreadful. It is overwhelming. It is glorious. Why is the day of the Lord's arrival great and awesome? Because the Lord is great and awesome. And when he comes, it is great and awesome. The Grand Canyon is beautiful, absolutely beautiful, yet the thought of falling over its edge is terrifying. Watching a tiger is beautiful, but the thought of it running at you is terrifying. Watching fireworks explode on the 4th of July, that's beautiful. But holding a lit firework in your hand is terrifying. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the epitome of beauty and terror perfectly blended in one glorious person. The application of this third point is revere Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Revere him, fear him, respect him, admire him, adore him, venerate him, exalt him. Malachi is helping us see the greatness and the grandeur and the awesomeness and the terrifying nature of Christ. And we must revere him. Revere him. Next, God's grace. God's grace. Verse 6 And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The Hebrew word shuv or turn is used seven times in Malachi. Seven times. And there's an interesting connection here. Back in chapter 3, verse 7, shuv is used three of the seven times. One verse. So listen to verse 7 again. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So if fathers' hearts would return to their children and children's hearts would return to their fathers, it meant there was conflict and separation in families. Families were broken, obviously, if you consider some of the key issues that Israel was going through in the time of Malachi. Injustice against each other, intermarriage with pagans, divorce. Israel's obstinacy continued through John's day. This message was very relevant. But God, God is so gracious. 
He sent John the Baptist and spoke repentance and reconciliation to Israel through him. To return is to repent, which brings reconciliation both with man and with God. Consider Luke 1. When the angel appeared in the temple to uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah the priest, the angel said to him this, verse, verses 16 and 17, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God graciously raised up John the Baptist as a great prophet and an instrument of his sovereign and effectual grace. John couldn't turn hearts. Only God can turn hearts. But he did through John. John preached God's message, and that powerful message brought reconciliation in Israel. People began to turn to the Lord, and their hearts were softened towards each other. Families began to heal. The disobedient began to change direction and began to walk in in the wisdom of the righteous. John's ministry prepared the way for Jesus Christ, who brought ultimate healing As Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 asserts, Taylor and Clendenin note this, the point is that fathers and sons would no longer live self-serving lives, but fathers will take their sons to heart, and sons will take to heart their fathers, considering the effects of their actions on one another in the course of their lives, end of quote. John was a wake-up call to Israel, a wake-up call leading them to repentance and reconciliation and preparing them to see the beautiful rise of the Son of Righteousness. The application of this fourth point is simple. Reconcile. Reconcile. God's sovereign grace at work in your life can be, or can bring rather, reconciliation for you with Him and with others. If there is a distance between you and God right now, if you humble yourself, if you repent, and you return to God through Christ, you can be reconciled to God. Paul Paul pleaded with the Corinthian Christians, be reconciled to God. That That was to Christians. Be reconciled to God. But some of you need to repent in order to be reconciled to other people. To other people as well as God. Perhaps there is conflict. Perhaps there is separation inside of your family. You might actually be the cause of that friction and division. Or maybe they're the cause. Either way, have you repented? And have you sought? Reconciliation. Your humility and repentance may just be the catalyst that God uses to bring long-awaited reconciliation in your family. Fathers, I'm speaking to you, dads. Has God graciously turned your heart to your children? Mothers, children, All children, has God graciously turned your heart to your father and your mother? The core of John's message was repentance from sins and the supremacy of Christ. So repentance and faith are the only means by which reconciliation with God and others can truly come.
Maybe you have done all that you can possibly do to reconcile with your family or with others, and they just won't have it. They just won't have it. They shut it down. They won't talk to you. There's not a whole lot you can do. But I'd imagine, not knowing all your situations, but I'd imagine that's not the case for some of you. What might be more accurate is to say you're hard. You're hard. You have turned away. You are stubborn. And if you would only humble yourself, God may just reconcile you with others and bring the peace in your heart that you so, so long for and, and crave. Will you seek reconciliation with God and with others? Jesus will help you. Jesus will help you. If you feel like, I, I need to. Jesus is right there. He's not leaving you. You have what you need. You have him to walk through it with you. But you must act. Last one, God's destruction. John's ministry of repentance and reconciliation was God's grace. If it would not have been for John's ministry, the people would not have been prepared or ready for Jesus, and the judgment of God would have come. Verse 6, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's the last line of the Old Testament. Some ending, right? Severe justice is right there alongside, in verse 6, right there alongside of sovereign grace. Justice and grace are two themes streaming through Malachi and streaming through all of Scripture. Dr. John McKay offers a helpful paragraph that captures the essence of the last verse. I want to read this to you. But these are the basic alternatives of the covenant. And they form a fitting conclusion to the prophetic books. The prophet's words were not intended to stimulate idle curiosity, nor yet spiritual complacency. The blessings of the covenant are conditioned on obedience. And given the reality of the grip that sin has on human hearts and lives, the prophets confronted their generation and ours with the need for a repentant response to avoid the curse of disobedience, end of quote. He's right. If we do not repent of our sins and trust in Christ, God will come and strike us with utter destruction. Now, the preferred response is the first part of verse 6, repentance and reconciliation. Soft hearts, love, healing, strong families. That is the, the preferred response. That is what God's grace does. But without obedience to God's covenant, God's justice and destruction are coming. The application of the fifth point, and really the entire series as we wrap the whole thing up, is this, return, return, return to the Lord, return to his word, return to his son, return to his love, return to his grace, return to his forgiveness, return to his power. Like the prodigal son, leave the distant lands of temporary pleasures and sin and return to your father. He will welcome you. He will celebrate your return. Return to the Lord so that you can avoid his coming destruction and instead enjoy the, the warmth of his fatherly love 
Listen to God. Return to me and I will return to you. Let that be burned into our minds. Return to me and I will return to you. What a promise. What a promise. Now before we close out this series, I want to answer one question. How does the book of Malachi point us to Jesus Christ? Because if we miss that, we've missed it. We haven't been paying attention. So hopefully, you already know how to answer that question. You should, because you've seen the beauty and the supremacy of Jesus Christ all throughout this series. But perhaps uh, there, uh, these few connections will help you to see Jesus more vividly. Malachi was a faithful prophet who spoke the word of God, yet Jesus Christ is the preeminent faithful prophet who is the incarnation of the word of God. Israel ignored God's word and strayed from him, yet Jesus Christ is the perfect Israel who heeded God's word and stayed close to God to perpetually honor and serve him. God told Israel, I have loved you. And God kept his covenant promise to love through Jesus Christ, the covenant keeper. The priests of Israel failed with their evil sacrifices and failed to teach and turn the people away from iniquity. Yet Jesus Christ is the perfect and faithful priest who pleased the Father by offering himself as the unblemished lamb and succeeded in teaching and turning the people away from iniquity. Israel defamed the great name of God, yet Jesus Christ honored it so that even the nations would worship God in spirit and in truth. Israel merited God's divine curse, yet it was Jesus Christ, the innocent, who became the curse for us, bearing the just wrath of God so that through his righteous merits, we may have the favor of God. Israel was faithless and committed abominations with each other, intermarried with pagans and divorced the wives of their youth. Yet it is Jesus Christ, the faithful, who remains equitable, never intermixes with evil, always remains faithful to his bride, the church, and never divorces her, but loves her and honors his covenant until the end. God promised the Lord would come to his temple and Jesus Christ came to God's people to redeem them and to build them into a marvelous and spectacular superstructure, the new temple. Israel needs refining and purifying and it is Jesus Christ who comes and turns up the heat to fashion God's people after his own image and holiness. The arrogant and the evildoers, they need justice and justice will be done because Jesus Christ comes to give it, to separate the wicked from those who receive his righteousness by grace through faith. Jesus Christ never changes. Therefore, he will pour out blessings on those who trust him. He will equally pour out wrath upon those who reject him. Israel thought it vain to fear and to serve God. Yet Jesus Christ found his ultimate pleasure in fearing and serving God. For though he was humiliated and killed, he rose to supremacy as God exalted him above all names, above all kings, above all rulers, above all people, because he is faithful. 
It is Jesus Christ alone who redeems people so they belong to God as his treasured possession. It is Jesus Christ who comes as the fiery blaze of destruction and yet he also comes as the son of righteousness with healing power. It is Jesus Christ alone who makes people leap for joy like fat and happy calves leaping from the stall. It is Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law of Moses and who brings repentance and reconciliation. Oh, my friends, I hope you see Jesus Christ in Malachi. He's there. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, so review God's law. Jesus will forgive you of your sins, so repent of your sins. Jesus has supremacy over all things, so revere him as Messiah. Jesus can heal broken relationships, the most broken that there are, so reconcile with God and with others. And Jesus leads people to God, so return to God through Jesus Christ. Return to the Lord, and he will return to you and make you most happy in him. Let's pray. Father, you have been good to us through this Malachi series. We have seen so much. We've forgotten much already. But help us just to remember that when we return to you, you will return to us. It does take obedience. We can't just say, all by grace, I do nothing. Well, of course we do nothing to earn our salvation, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must act according to the Holy Spirit, and we must act in holiness and act to obey your law. You saved us in order to do that. And so the expectation is, God, that we will heed your law, that we will stay close to you and that your Holy Spirit, this is not moralism, this is walking by the Spirit of God in the gospel as he strengthens us, as you strengthen us, God, to obey. So I pray that for Jerusalem Church and for our guests today, oh, that they would be built up in the Spirit of Christ, that they would treasure him above all things, They would return, run, sprint to you, the Father, to be accepted and loved and cared for through Christ. We thank you for the supremacy of Christ and all that he is for us. And may we respond in deep worship. For Christ's sake, amen.